Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Morgan J. is a first-generation American who got his start in comedy upon arriving at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts and eventually dropped the normal setups and punchlines for a guitar, crowd work, and improvised songs. He's built up a following of about one million on TikTok, and he released his newest special, Live at the Village, at the end of May 2023. Jay spoke to me about overcoming the stigma against musical comedians as well as becoming popular on TikTok, what it's like to receive a DM from Nick Cannon while you're performing in Scotland, and his experiences performing on TV shows such as NBC's Bring the Funny and MTV's Wild and Out. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Pivony at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! Morgan Jay, thank you so much for joining me. Last things first. So I don't know if you remember me from Edinburgh last summer. Of course, yeah. <laughs> we go way back, man. I, I know about the Comics Comic when I started doing comedy in New York. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah. So I know I've been. I was checking your blog out, the vlog, and the, the reviews and things like that for a while. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. So so yeah so you went to NYU for the Tisch School. Did you know you were going to be a comedian and specifically a musical comedian when you showed up as a freshman? I didn't know I was going to do musical comedy. I knew I was going to do stand-up at some point. Literally the first week of college, I did the open mic. They had a welcome week open mic, which I thought was going to be like 20 people, but there was about 400 students that showed up. So <laughs> it was, it was uh, you know, it was a little overwhelming. I did five minutes. I think my first joke, uh, which is funny because this was like 16 years ago was about Spider-Man, about him shooting webs out of his butt. And then I saw the new Spider-Man, and they did make a... Re- Obviously, they did It wasn't like my... It was, it was basically idea <laughs> overlap. You know what I mean? It's not like I had the most original idea of all time. Um, but, well, the no, Spider-Verse was, contains multitudes. It contains multitudes. It does. But yeah, no, 18, I did my first open mic, but I didn't really start doing stand-up until, I want to say, like 2007. You know, I did my first Bringer show at caroline's that year during the summer and then yeah it was just like doing it once a month in college and then you know once a week and then eventually after i graduated it was every day and and then it wasn't until i moved to la that we i brought the guitar into it and that, and that was sort of like an afterthought like i i just never thought of doing it mostly because of like the stigma i think we get from our comedy peers about using a guitar even though there's plenty of examples of it going well you know what i mean right um but yeah, so after, cause when I, my last year in New York, I had, uh, I got referred by Nick Vatterot to, uh, audition for JFL. And then I moved to LA and then I auditioned for JFL again and nothing happened. I had auditioned for like a couple things on MTV and this thing with late night with Jimmy Fallon also fell through. So I just kind of like got tired of the stand up, and then, uh, I just wanted to, to do something that was fun. Not to say like the stand up wasn't fun, but I guess I got tired of my jokes, essentially, right? It's sort of were, like... Were all of your auditions without the guitar? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. So I was 24. My first audition 
um, for JFL. That was recommended by Nick, and I did you know six minutes of uh, stand up on that lineup. What was that, that was like? A, what was your what was your non musical persona like? Look, listen, I'll be honest with you. It was very like positive energy, good vibes. I was doing a lot of act outs. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's funny that you know this is called the comics comic, but like I never got the sense that I was a comics comic because I was. I was also doing open mics in New York and shows in New York that were like music venues. So there was a place called Bar 4 that I did a lot of shows at, a place called Cafe Vivaldi I did a lot of shows at. It was mostly like a music crowd. So mm-hmm. I was never doing, you know, jokes for comics in the back of the room. So I was doing very like, high, you know, high energy sort of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Like there's a lot of like when you're bombing, but all the comics are laughing in the back. Like sure. I wasn't that I wasn't that kind of comedian. <laughs> you, were that you know what guy. I mean? Not to say that I wasn't bombing from time to time, but I definitely wasn't like trying to do like very like edgy, cynical type material, if I can say that. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So the comics uh, weren't probably weren't even paying attention to you. No, no, probably not, and they still don't. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and then so then I, when I moved to LA, I finagled another audition for JFL, and I just sort of the audition. The first audition was at Creek in the Cave when Rebecca Trent was running the venue there. I honestly like. There was just, I just felt like, oh, I did so great. This was, I, I just feel like I knocked it out of the park. And I didn't really know how far the, there's been a lot of instances where I didn't know how far the rabbit hole went, like with something <laughs> like JFL, right? Sure. It's sort of like, I remember having a conversation with Rory Scovel about it in New York. And I was doing my first audition. He was like, I'll be honest with you, man. I auditioned like seven times before I ever got it. And like, by the time I got it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a big, it wasn't going to move the needle for me as, you know what I mean? So, Sure. Yeah. At a certain point, you might be auditioning for new faces, but you're no longer a new face. Exactly. A hundred percent. You know, I, I auditioned this year, you know what I mean? And I, <laughs> and, uh, I told my reps, I said, is this weird? I'm like 36. I've been doing this for 15 years. You know what I mean? Like I have a full, also, I've have been a, on television. Yeah. I have like a full tour <laughs> coming up. They're like, no, I'll just do it anyway. It's like good to just like be, your, you know, be there. So, you know? so what was the moment where you said, screw this, I'm going to pick up the guitar and try something else on stage. Yeah, that was the, the that was the summer, I want to say, of 2013. I was always playing guitar, and I was always singing, but I never did it on stage for comedy. I mean, I did it once or twice in New York, but not, not really seriously, you know. Uh, but I wrote two songs, and uh, I just took I, – I, I gave myself two months to do it, in the sense that I, I wasn't like, I do musical comedy now. Right. It was sort of like, let me just like write two songs and then I'll do them at open mics around LA and shows and see how it goes. And that was kind of the, the rest is history because, you know, two songs turned into, you know, I'm, I'm on my third special, uh, my third album, uh, second special. So we're about like 30 songs deep. You know, I have another hour that I'm working on with more music and I've written, you know, kids songs and uh, other types of music that are that are not exclusive to comedy, you know. And uh, it's just, it's been a good growing experience, you know. You mentioned there being a stigma against musical comedians. How much did that stop you from, from starting on this path earlier? I, I think it, it had a little bit, I think, I think there was a little bit of that in there. I, I, I think mostly the idea of being a stand up comedian was so strong in my head. Like, I just thought it was so cool one person on stage with the microphone. And I just had this vision of like, I, I really wanted to do that. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, the reality of that is a little bit different. Um, and, 
I think there was a stigma, and even, and I think the stigma, like the 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 fear came in more the first year I started doing it because I did run into some comedians who, I, I remember this one comedian who I, who shall remain nameless, <laughs> he was like, we were at a show in L.A. This was like early on in the comedy thing. He was like, what the fuck is this, dude? You're using a guitar now? It was like a very. Then again, there was another comedian who I remember, and I'll I'll say it was you know Mike Lawrence, who's just mm-hmm. absolutely so funny. And yeah. Mike, you know, I feel when I was when I was in New York and Mike was coming up, Mike, I feel like was very like, you know, comedy pure pu- purity comedy man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he was doing all the alt shows and all the alt rooms. And uh, I remember I did um, Hot Tub in L.A. or was it or was it a super serious show? But well, Joel and Mandy both produced th- those shows. Mm-hmm. And I was on the lineup and Mike was on the lineup. It was me, Mike, Reggie Watts, another comedian. Oh, TJ Miller and somebody else. And I did my music comedy. And Mike was like, that was really amazing, man. Which it was, he was the last person I would have expected to <laughs> give, a, give a compliment to music comedy. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, he was the last person I'd expect. That's, that's how I felt. So well, I, it I, might have helped that you were on a bill that also included Reggie Watts. Sure. And, and I think, you know, um, I don't even know if he did music that night. Actually, I think he was starting to like do because, you know, if you see Reggie now, you kind of don't know if he's going to do music or if he's going to do some stand up or kind of like fake TED talk of some sort. Right. Well, that's I, the I, thing about both Reggie and, as you mentioned, Boris Scoble, is that yeah. they're willing to just kind of like throw out the script of what you expect a stand up comedian to do and just do their own thing. Yeah. And, and I and I definitely admire that. And I look up to that and I try to take some of that from and try to infuse that into my own shows, you know, even with the new special, uh, I, I do like write moments of crowd work into the songs on purpose to see, you know, it's, it's kind of structured, right. But it can still kind of go off the walls a little bit, you know? Sure. Yeah. Like, like even like seeing your show in Edinburgh and then watching your new YouTube special, there are certain songs that like, if you, if someone had only seen you once, they might've thought, Oh yeah, this is totally made up on the spot. Right. But then if you see it, you're like, Oh no, he has these songs. Yeah. Like and the, the bro- crowd work is sort of meant to lead in, lead into some of them. A hundred percent. Like the bro song, which is the second to last song on the new special, you know, I go, I always pick a guy out. I, when you were in Edinburgh, did I do, were you, I think you were there for that. I think I did that song there. The bro so. one where I like almost kiss a guy on stage. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that's always structured. That like crowd work game is always structured in there. Yeah. Now the first place most people saw you is probably Bring the Funny. Oh yeah, that the first place. However, I get recognized more from TikTok than I ever did from that show. Now, right? And, but Bring and, the Funny was 2019, which is 2019. Yeah, kind of predates TikTok. Absolutely, like just just slightly. And I remember. I, the first time I got recognized for bringing the funny, I was going to a college in like the middle of nowhere and the flight attendant was like, Oh my God, I saw you on that show. You were so funny, you know? So that was cool. Also, so was, also in good company. What was your show. life like the day before you got the audition for that show? Well, so bring the funny was interesting. I didn't really get an audition for that show in the sense what had happened was I had two friends separately recommend me for the show. Um, and, uh, I never actually auditioned for it. I got two friends recommended me. I had, I had shot my first special. Mm-hmm. I hope my ex doesn't see this, which by the way, that was a full experiment. I never intended to release that. But then once the pan- the pandemic hit, I put it out, but I had shot the first special and uh, I had kind of, I had this hour, a little bit less than an hour of, of, of you know, good footage. 
I had gotten recommended, and then um, the show just asked, "What what bits do I have?" So I sent them the hour, and I was like, "Well, these are these are basically what I could do on national television." And that was kind of it, you know, because it was only going to be at most four television experience, four television uh, appearances. Right. So um, they were like, "All right, we want you to do this bit, this bit, this bit, like in this order." Um, and that was kind of it. It was very terrifying. I mean, like the third, the my third appearance, honestly, was the the scariest one. Um, Why so? Well, I was doing this song called "Split the Check." And uh, I was going to do the crowd work portion of that song with um, Chrissy Teigen. And, uh, you know, normally when you do crowd work in a club, you can pick somebody out that like they might be like what we want is somebody who's going to be shy and nervous when you're doing crowd work. And when you think shy and nervous, you think Chrissy Teigen. Well, I don't. That's the thing. I don't think cause she's already like a, she's already a public personality. Right. right. So no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm playing. It's, yeah, you got it. You're right. And you're like, like, I don't know. Is she going to try to be cute? Is she going to try to like tell right. a joke? She might you know hijack the whole thing. You're going to hijack it a hundred percent. But to, you know, to her credit, she played, I mean, I don't know. She played along. She was a really good sport on the show. So I remember I was just so terrified, you know, also of making it through to the final round. Uh, I remember the night before, like I had a full on panic attack. I remember like I couldn't sleep the next day. Uh, you know, Jeff Fox, where they were outside the studio. He's like, how'd you sleep last night? And I was like, I didn't. And he like told me this whole story about his first time on the tonight show. And it was, he was like, really, he's just really such a nice guy. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember the, and I remember the first episode that I filmed, uh, like my knees were shaking. I had like a stomach ache for the hour after, like an hour after we filmed it. You know what it is? Sean, it's just like, my first television ex- appearance wasn't like a Tonight Show or a Late Night or a Late Late Show or whatever it was. I was like still competing, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Oh like, no, it's a competition. Yeah. yeah. So With I didn't prize have money on the line. Right, I, and I wasn't like chosen to just like do what I do. It was sort of like, you know, and also I ha- I only had two and a half minutes per appearance, if that, you know, and they cut stuff down. So it's like. You you didn't really have uh, I didn't have like the luxury of getting my like full five to six minutes because it's like you know two you know so yeah yeah those shows whether it's Bring the Funny or America's Got Talent it's kind of crazy yeah. for a stand up comedian to do a show like that yeah and I've been approached by AGT a couple times before before Bring the Funny and I just I, I just doesn't fit for me because I I'm a long it's like I'm a longer form uh, performer so I, I just couldn't fit that structure i was i was surprised i was even able to fit in and to bring the funny to be honest with you um, so uh, so aside from flight attendants recognizing you what was the immediate was there was there an immediate bump in your career from being only, on- only slightly you know i was on three episodes the bump was only slightly i remember i had about six thousand followers on instagram when i did the show and then after the show i had twelve thousand followers and the show I remember getting, it got about 3 million viewers an episode ish. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there was obviously like a lot of producing going on as far as like, you know, you could talk to other people who were on the show. I mean, Matt Reif was weird. Matt Reif and Michael (laughs) Long, Matt Reif, me and Michael Longfell. So the top 12 was me, Matt Reif, Michael Longfellow, Takara Williams, Ali Sadiq, those are the five comed. Oh, uh, Lou Berger, which is another right. musical trio. There was a there was a sketch group or two. 
you know, and obviously like, so, you know, Ali Sadiq is, is incredible. Michael is absolutely hilarious. Everybody's gone on to like do wonderful things. You know what I mean? I don't want to get too much into that show, but the voting was based <laughs> off of like internet and online voting. This was like one of the first times they were doing it. And right. anybody who's watching the show probably doesn't even know how to like log on. I remember you had to like log on and have an account or this or that. So, and so the people who won was like this sketch group and they all had like a hundred and some thousand followers already. Like, oh no, they, yeah, they like were each. already huge on YouTube. They were, they were all big, huge. Big, big YouTubers. So yeah, <laughs> I was shocked slash not shocked when they won. A hundred percent. So, oh, and the drama behind that, you know, like the minute they won, like they cut out the, the female sketch. You know about the drama of this? Oh yeah. No, I wrote about it. Yeah. And I, oh man. <laughs> so I would love to know more about it, how it went down. But anyway, but the show, um, it, it definitely like as far as, you know, in, our, in, in a career of comedy now, I'm learning that all these, you know, Orlando Liba, who was also on the show, is a really funny comedian. Uh, he was just talking about, because he'd already had a couple of appearances on TV. He was like, listen, man, because I was nervous. He was like, look, man, these are all just commercials for you. Every appearance is just a commercial. Every appearance is like, go, go buy tickets to my show, you know. Uh, and if you treat it that way, it's kind of like, if I'm on a show now, I'll be on a show in the future. If I, you know, like it, they're just, they're just little commercials. And that's how I look at, you know, social media now. Also, it's like some people do make a living off of social media. I do not. I, I use it as a, uh, an avenue to just promote my special and promote my live shows and ticket sales and stuff like that. You Even know? though you have closing in on a million followers on TikTok, there's no yeah, money in that for you. There, there's not a whole lot. You get like, three cents if that i think per thousand views or something like that okay so and then for streams on spotify and itunes and as and as far as somebody who's like not a well-known musical comedian i've been able to, to like transfer a lot of streams to the you know I, I think that song friend zone has over half a million streams on spotify alone which is like that was just all through the power of social media you know what i mean right um it's it's not a substantial amount. You have to be doing like millions and millions of views per post to for at least to make money off of TikTok, and then trying to get people to move platforms to YouTube uh, is really hard. on On Facebook and Instagram, I didn't make any. I don't make any money because some of my reels are just a little bit too spicy, and they usually get flagged for inappropriate language or content matter. So mm. uh, I don't make any money off of those, and then. Mortgage too spicy for Instagram. Too spicy for Instagram. And then on YouTube, also, like, depending on the, your content, uh, you won't, I don't get a lot of revenue from that just because of, like, the, you know, I have a song called Fuck Right Now, and, like, nobody's going to want to have an ad unless it's, like, Trojan. So, you know, OnlyFans? I mean? Or OnlyFans. I got offered to do one of those OnlyFans things, but I had, I had turned it down only because the timing. You know how OnlyFans is doing like a series of comedy specials. Yeah, I, I just uh, I was gonna. I'm promoting my comedy special too much, and I, I just couldn't be like promoting too many things. Otherwise, people get tired of it and they don't want to see your profile anymore. You know. So, how did you wind up you know, becoming a part of the Wild and Out crew? So that was social media. So that was uh, basically I did a show in in uh, L.A. called Chocolate Sundays. Um. And they film the show. They'll clip the show. They ask you permission. Can we post this? Do a collab post. They, two of my clips last year around June, uh, I think on their account, went, did really well. And I think somebody famous might have seen it or 
reshared it. Nick Cannon probably saw it. Went through my uh, my my account, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a week after I got to Scotland, because I got there a week before the 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 festival started. Oh, so this uh, was just I, in last year. This was just in last year. So uh, uh, like a uh, like a week after I got to Scotland, which was the first week of August, I woke up to a DM from uh, Nick Cannon that was like, <laughs> "You want to come while out with us?" Like a week after, I was like, well, I, I'm literally doing this festival for a month. He's like, well, you're going to have to be in Atlanta the last week of August. So I had to actually cut my uh, run at the Fringe a week short. So I went to Atlanta. I did the uh, audition process, and then I lived in Atlanta for a month and shot 12 episodes um, there. And that's how it went down. That's quite a shift. Well, first off, that you were on the Chocolate Sunday show. Yeah. So the chocolate Sunday is is predominantly a, a black room. So the, you know, there's white rooms, there's black rooms, mm-hmm. and uh, I was opening for D. Ray Davis. D, by the way, I was doing comedy for like twelve, eleven or twelve years until somebody asked me to open for them ever. Wow! So nobody ever asked me to open for them, and okay. so maybe they so were D, scared of the guitar. They couldn't. Maybe I, like I we can't know. follow that heat. Dude, the history, the, like the the story of my career is literally like clawing for every single opportunity I've ever gotten. So, um, so so I was at the Improv uh, in LA, and um, I was my buddy was at there with the bar at the bar with me, and there was a really cute girl there, and I was trying to wingman for him. I said, "You should talk mm-hmm. to this girl." Like, what did? And he was like, "Man, my boy Morgan, he should be in the main room for Monday Rays. D Ray has a month a weekly show there." And she was like, "Well, I'm actually his assistant. I could probably get him on the show." And I was like, "Oh." I said, well, look, I'm closing out the show in the small room. And if you want, there's no pressure. At this point in my career, there, there's, 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 there's points in your career where like, you're really thirsty. Like you, I remember I was like four years in and I was doing a show in the Lower East Side at this place called the Three of Cups sure. that, this, that R.G. Daniels was running. And I remember yeah. I was on the lineup with uh, it was like, it was like Pete Holmes and Mike Kaplan. And I was like, I just like, really wish they would stay and watch my set. Well, they watch my set. You know what I mean? Like You're just like a young comic and you want this... Um, and so, uh, now at this point I was like 12 years in, I was doing colleges. I was making a living. I was like, I told this booker, I was like, look, if you want to come watch, you can come watch either way. It's like, it's fine. Cause I, you know, like the act of wanting it so much makes it, I feel like even harder to grasp, you know? So I was like, yeah. you want to watch it? If it's going to happen. It's going to happen at this point. She came in, she watched it. I got a text from her, uh, the next day. She's like, you're really funny. We'd love to have you on the show. And then they booked me like a month later. I killed it on the show. And then I did it another month later, killed it again. And then D-Ray was like, all right, so you're going to come open for me. And I was like, sure, sure, sure. She's like, no, no, no. Talk to my assistant. We'll figure out the dates. And then I, I started doing some tour dates with him. And then he got me on Chocolate Sundays through a referral. If you don't know anything about Chocolate Sundays, it's one of the hardest shows to get on. And it's one of the hardest shows to get past. On. There's like a two or three year waiting list to get on the show. And uh, he, I cut the line. He made a phone call. And then I, sh- I remember I showed up. I bumped a friend of mine who was on the show. I was going to see him. Oh, no. And D-Ray was like, you never done the show before? Hold up. He made the phone call. I was like, I was just going there to like shake hands and introduce mm-hmm. myself. Just He's to like, on the show. Yeah. I said, yeah. I show up, bump my friend, kill, kill it at Chocolate Sundays. And that was it. So they had me every couple months. And that was kind of like the genesis of me getting on Wild and Out, you know. Right. So then there's, yeah, cut to you being in Scotland uh, that first week and the room you were playing in, not the biggest room. No, 40 to <laughs> 42 seats. It was, I didn't know enough. I was doing everything on my own. 
again, self-producing. I think by the time I left, I averaged about half tickets sold every night. Weekends, I sold out a few times, but I had a 1.15 p.m. slot. And I, I didn't know that like you could kind of like argue or make a case to do a later time slot. I just was like, okay. oh, Underbelly was one of the better venues. So sure. I was like, I'll just take what they give me. So I didn't really know any better. Had I done it again, I, I probably would try to aim for like between a 5 and an 8 p.m. slot. You know, all the people who worked at Underbelly who saw the show, they were like, you know, honestly, your show is one of the better shows we've seen at like our company. And uh, if you had a later time slot, you probably would have sold more tickets. You know what I mean? Yeah, I also didn't hire flyer people. I, I was just about to ask you if you're self-produced. Does that mean you have to go out there after, yeah, it, in the in the late afternoon after your show and be like, come see it tomorrow? Yeah, and I'll be honest with you. I did it for a little bit, but I was doing like... After my show, I had to run over to another venue, Just the Tonic. Uh, Chris Turner had a children's mm-hmm. show that he ran. Children's and, it, okay. and it was just like three comics, each doing 20 minutes. And it paid. So I would do my okay. show, okay. run over to that show, do 20 minutes, clean. I had like a clean 20 minutes for kids. And then um, promote my show. And then I also did, uh, there was a 10 o'clock show at Gilded Balloon that I was doing um, with Wall- Wally Barham's show that she was producing with two other comics. So I was doing that show, promoting my own show. So I was promoting my, and then I did a couple of other ones. I Chortle okay. had a showcase show. Yeah. And I guess... Somebody he somebody heard that I did a good job on the Chortle Showcase. So he actually came and reviewed my show. He came okay. personally to my show. It was a sold-out show. It was a killer show. I got three. I was like, I murdered. I got three and a half stars. Because it, like, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but, but, but it was just it was funny because like I looked up some of the other shows that was getting like four or five stars. And I, was, mm-hmm. I went and I saw some of the shows that got four or five stars. And I was, I was just very, you know, I was a little bit, I was a little bit surprised. Cause, yeah, cause it's, I, I mean, even, even for me, like on the other side of it, it is, it is interesting. Like when I do reviews for Decider, it's like pass fail. Right, but, right, right. But, right. <laughs> but like to do, like, because last year was my first fringe also. So I tried to sure, go of course. the flow of the five star system. And it was really interesting to try to figure out, yeah, how do you, because some shows that got five stars, and I'll be completely transparent, I, I watched and I was like, this is, the, this is one of the least funny things I've ever seen in my life. I don't think one person laughed in a show, mm. at, at the show that I came. But maybe that's not what they were looking for. Maybe that's not what the five-star right. review was for. I don't know, because we're looking at comedy shows. We don't have to get into like the whole process of like what's funny and what's not funny or how people review things or not. Um, I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I'm not like a edgy... I think I think in Steve's review, which I thought was one of the funniest lines, and I think that made the most sense. He was like, "Finally, somebody has the courage to tackle a subject matter such as dating and relationships." Like it was a very like tongue in cheek right uh, comment, but honestly, like it is really funny because it's like I really stay away from religion and politics and race and things like that, and I, I just try to put on like an entertaining show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And. Um, I don't know if that hurts me or helps me when it comes to like getting good reviews or selling tickets, but um, I do know the I do know the fringe. If I were to give the whole process of the fringe my own rating, I would give it like three out of five stars because it's like very exhausting. Mm. It's a very intense experience. I know this doesn't help you, but apparently they will have an they will have an app this year. Oh, oh. <laughs> 
Anyway, anything is, which is what they the, didn't have last year, and a lot of people groused about that. Yeah. So the audience reviews of my show—they were all like incredible. Everybody like, loved the show. I was actually lucky to get people to review my show at all, to be honest with you, because I didn't—I didn't know that people like had PR people there, people kind of campaigning for reviews or reaching out to people. I had a list of all, you know, Underbelly gave us a list of all of them, but you know, I didn't do my due diligence to like reach out to people to all of them. There was just so many. There was just so, there was just so much. And I was already dealing with a lot. So I just was like, I'm just trying to do my show. And I mean, it's still June as we speak and I've already been flooded with emails. Oh my God. Right. So (laughs) I just review their show in August. I'm like, I don't, there's only one of me. I don't know how this is going to happen. And at that point, it's sort of like, I know that I'm, I'm an entertaining guy. And if somebody like word of mouth has always been my most useful source of promotion. That's why I was doing so many other shows at the Fringe. You know, I mean, between the three shows, my show and the two other shows that I was booked on consistently, I had all these other little ones pop up as well. But I think the the toughest thing about that time slot was like, I couldn't really be up late doing the late comedy shows. You know, I don't know how people go to the Fringe and like drink and smoke and party (laughs) and also do a show every day for an hour. Like, I just can't can't do that. well, they don't have a one fifteen time slot. They don't have a one fifteen p.m. time slot. Exactly. Yeah, they have, they have like a nine o'clock yeah. night time slot. Yeah. Um, but all of this is to say, like, you're running yourself ragged, doing at least three shows a day, and then you get this DM from Nick Cannon. How does <laughs> how does that how does that land with you when you open your phone or your laptop that day and see that in Scotland? I mean, I was literally in bed. I woke up. I was like, this is crazy. Like, what is, I mean, I and I was like, I was just trying to be cool. I'd be like, yeah, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to come. I was just like trying to be cool because I knew it was real. I knew it was real because um, I heard other stories about Nick reaching out to cast members that way. Um, so that's how I knew it was real. Uh, some people would be like, was it real? Was it real? Like I knew it was real. And, and Nick, he doesn't follow anybody on social media. Um, he, you know, follows zero people mm-hmm. and, you know, he's active on there. I mean, t- that guy, real shout out to him and respect to him for discovering, finding new talent, putting people on the show. I mean, even this season that we, we season 21 that we filmed, uh, two or three weeks ago. Uh, I mean, he had like seven new cast members, like brand new people who like you haven't, you wouldn't know who they were. And all were just absolutely talented and just crushed it. And like, it really put, and if you look through the last 20 years of 20 seasons of that show, you, if you look back really at every season, you're going to see like major stars that have been on that show that, that oh, yeah. might've been on one episode or one season or something <laughs> like it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. You know, Cat Williams, you know, they, Pete they Davidson. Have, yeah. There's the 85 even, even, South guys who have blown up. Even even SNL cast members like uh what's his name what's the like one what's the white dude oh Mikey Day is it Mikey Day he oh yeah 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 Mikey Day was on there Matt yeah, Rife was, was, was on Taren there Taron Killam was on there Taron like all these people like yeah. it's crazy they 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 were onto it early on you know how did like you seem like a low key guy so how did you fit how how have you fit in I to this day I feel like I don't fit in on the show. And I, I feel insecure when I do the show. I feel anxious. I have, I have no problem saying that. I feel, um, you know, the show is very, it's also one of those shows where you're still competing. Like I'm, I'm on a TV show and I'm still competing. 
you're competing for uh, screen time, you know, and the executive producer is really clear about, you know, be funny. We want the jokes to be funny. We want them to be quick. You know, I think he even said to me, it's like, you know, if I have to choose between a really funny long bit or like two or three cast members doing short, funny bits, I mean, I'm going to go with the, the shorter ones just because it's easier to put into the edit. I'm not really a big roaster. While I do a lot of crowd work, it's like, you know, I'm not really going for the jugular. I'm not like really making fun of people, you know? Right. And my vibe is a little bit slow. And I also sing soft. And so that's kind of been a challenge on the show. Like they've been like, sing louder, sing louder. And it's like, if you see my show, I'm like long, I'm a long form content. So I'm grateful for any time I have on the show and I do what I can on the show. And, and if they want to, you know, if they keep me on the show, that's great. And if they don't, like I'm also, it's fine with it too. Like at this point I've done three seasons, but I'll, I'll be, I'll be fully transparent. Like I, I, I'm just doing the best I can. And, but yeah, I'm doing my best to fit in. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. you know, I was saying before I hit the microphone that I was just watching the new 85 South special on Netflix. And, and now I'm trying to picture if it was instead of DC with Chico and Carlos, if it was just you and DC, what kind of like duo you would be on stage yeah. together? Well, DC is, is, is honestly, one of the most talented people on the the planet. Like, like, yeah, he, reminds, he reminds me of like a young Chris Tucker. I would even go farther to say Jamie Foxx with the exception. Okay. That he does it. He's not a, he does not like a classically playing, uh, a classically trained musician. You know, Jamie Foxx went to Juilliard can play piano, mm-hmm. but DC can sing. He could rap. He can act. He, he like is just such an ins- incredible performer. Like, so like insane. Like on the show, he's, in, it's just like, he could literally do anything. And also Chico and Car- Carlos are, are also really funny too. But, you know, DC, I mean, when you see the show, they introduce DC. He's in a class of his own. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's just, he's just like so incredible. So I know we, we touched on TikTok briefly. And <laughs> I guess to go from like one stigma to another, like you had to overcome the stigma of being a musical comedian. Right now there's a big... I don't yeah. know if you know this, but there's a <laughs> there's kind of a debate among comedians about TikTok. Yeah, about, of course. About, about you know whether they need to be on TikTok. Vulture about- Vulture did a whole article about the crowd work. Yeah, uh, I guess epidemic. Yeah, no, I was I was quoted in that. I've actually had conversations in green rooms with many a comic about that. You know, TikTok for me was the game changer in my career, and I tried to detach myself from it. Like I said, it's a commercial for my live shows. And I try not to put what's in my live shows on TikTok, except if it's crowd work, right? I, I know people like hate the crowd work stuff, but you, like that's selling tickets. But I will say when people come to my show, I've literally had people tell me, they, they literally go, honestly, I didn't think this was going to be a good show because you're like a TikTok comedian. Mm. And for a lot of the people coming to my shows, they're, st- they're so much younger. It's their, it's, I'm literally their first comedy show they've ever been to. Oh, wow. Okay. And so they don't really know what a real comedy show is. I'm their first experience. And so I sing, I sing actual songs. I'll, I'll do like, you know, between five to 10 songs, depending on, you know, the crowd work or what we do. And I just kind of stick to the formula where I, I, I post my, my clips. Like now the special is out. So I, the plan is I post a part of the special every day. And then in a month, by the end of July, I'll see what post did well naturally. And then I'll put money behind those posts to uh, promote the tour. So that way between July and August, people can get tickets, you know? So that's what, what the plan is right now. Right. But, but the, the thing is the way your act is, it's built for that. 
honestly. Yeah. It's not like you're, it's not like some standups where they're doing things specifically for TikTok. That's not, it's not part of their regular act, but they're like changing their act so they can have a clip. Oh yeah. No, my your act, the your act is designed the in these like yeah. bite sized morsels that are already TikTok friendly. Yeah. And it's funny. I was saying like how I'm, I'm not a short form performer, <laughs> but with, with TikTok, I, I am able to, you know, you're able, now you're able to, you know, post 15 seconds up to like 10 minute clips if you want to on TikTok. I think the only thing with the bane of my existence, and I think this has been kind of a, a bad thing for comedians is now the people who do utilize TikTok, we're kind of every day thinking about like, instead of what's the funniest thing, we're thinking about what time should I post? How many times a day should I post? What should the hashtags be? What should the comment be? What's the algorithm doing? Like, uh, what's the SEO? Like I never had to know the word, the term SEO in my life until three years ago. Do you know what I mean? So yes, it's, it's I, a horrible thing to have to know. I know. So I, I think the, the job description has kind of changed a little bit. You know, on the other end, there are people who ha- are fans of people who blew up on TikTok, And when they see them at a live show, they're disappointed. Right. And that also does damage to comedians because then they're not going to want to go see a live show anymore. So it's it's both there's both ends of it, you know what I mean? Well, fortunately, Morgan J, your uh, your TikToks are very good commercials. So thank you, I c- really appreciate. Congrats that. on that! Congrats on the new special live at the Village, and uh, thanks for spending some time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man, and I'll and I'll see you sometime in New York. I'll be in New York in a couple months. So awesome. See you then. Take care, buddy. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.